This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Good morning and welcome to the show. Quite a bit happened yesterday. We had some NFL playoff action, some duds of matchups for the most part. But all I can say is, am I glad I did not play NBA DFS last night because it would have been ugly. Mainly because the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings managed to break the slate with just a ridiculous game of basketball last night that I only managed to catch the highlights of. But basically, the Warriors won 127-123 in a game that broke the NBA record for three-pointers with 41. 41 three-pointers made. Let me just sink that in for you, folks. 41 three-pointers. Most NBA games, even with the shooting increase, most NBA games has less than 25 three-pointers made. So 41 is just getting ridiculous levels of just chucking it up there. It was the first time ever that both teams in a game made 23s. The Kings made a franchise record 23-pointers. Steph Curry had 10 three-pointers en route to a 40-point game. Buddy Heald had... Eight three-pointers, which was uh, made it the first time in an NBA game two players made more than eight threes. Uh, you know, again, it is a crazy game that happened last night in the NBA. And, you know, it's just a blip on the radar screen for the most part. I mean, with teams shooting three-pointers at this high a clip, you know, the DFS websites are actually going to have to start thinking about some of the metrics used to score games because like if you didn't have exposure to the Warriors and Kings you were done last night you were absolutely done dead in the water don't even bother playing because you just contributed to the overlay and the contest uh, that you paid up for there's no getting around it with that many three-pointers hit I mean you're you're toast and it it, like I mean honestly it's it's just to an absurd level I mean 23 pointers between two squads. I mean, oh man, uh, just incredible times we're living in the NBA. It's scary because no one can play a lick of defense because you can't even touch someone. Uh, Because I saw the clip of James Harden somehow getting uh, getting, uh, three free throws when he was not actually contacted by a defender and flopped when his own man brushed against him. And the referee still gave continuation on a shot after Harden had already sh- uh, put up the uh, the shot. You know, again, uh, I-, I can't with NBA refs right now. It's it's just getting to a point of absurdity that, you know, is better left for another day. But uh, let's get into it with uh, the NFL action yesterday. 
just a mess of an opening game once again because it's the Houston Texans who are clearly, clearly in need of a new head coach because uh, Bill O'Brien will never get them there. The Texans fall uh, to the Indianapolis Colts 21-7, to and that 7 was on what amounted to garbage time because uh, the Texans still were without points in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, uh, you know, just to kind of give a rundown of how fraudulent this Texans team is because of their schedule, uh, 13 of the 16 regular season games that the Texans uh, were involved in featured these quarterbacks, Brock Osweiler, Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles, Cody Kessler, Marcus Mariota, Colt McCoy, Alex Smith, Case Keenum, the PETA man, Dak Prescott, Eli Manning, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Nick Foles, and, you know, it's just, you run down the list, there's a reason why this Texans team made the playoffs. That is one of the weakest schedules you will ever see in NFL history. And yet still, folks were surprised that the Texans, being as of, uh, being a home favorite, were shut out at halftime 21-0. The only thing that was surprising to me was the fact that the Texans couldn't figure out how to attack a Tampa 2 defense. The play calling is atrocious. Uh, Deshaun Watson is basically having to make stuff up on the fly and, and just scramble out of situations. You know, it's embarrassing for a team to be so unprepared for their opponent. And again, it's a division game. You play this team two times a year. This is your third time playing them. Each time you played the, uh, the Colts, the Texans managed to get worse on offense. That's coaching. Like the Colts had a, the Texans figured out, and the Texans never adjusted. I, I I don't I don't know what else you could say to that, but you need a new head coach. But you know, again, Bill O'Brien manages to escape that much criticism because people just point to saying, "Oh, look how many games he won." He can't actually adjust to anything else that's going on. So when people make up this nonsense. Uh, about Mike Tomlin not knowing X's and O's. I, I, w- I want them to point, uh, show me where some of these other coaches know what the hell they're talking about because I, I see I see teams all the time that can't manage their way out of a, a paper bag. And it, it's constant with the Texans. I've been railing on uh, Bill O'Brien for years now about how unqualified he is to be an NFL head coach and no media attention. So... That's how you know, more often than not, that a lot of the media coverage that happens for some of these teams is very scripted. Because, again, there's an agenda being pushed and a narrative being pushed by some folks that want to get certain messages out there. But if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves here, that Colts team is not very good. They're really not. I mean... The Chiefs losing that game next week is going to be on Andy Reid because the Chiefs, by all accounts, should have been able to at least glean a few things from watching the Colts this year because they are terrible against tight ends, which Houston apparently did not get the memo on because they ran no actual 
uh, a place for their individual tight ends. The Chiefs still have Travis Kelsey, who's the best catching uh, tight end in the league. And, you know, not for nothing, as bad as the Chiefs' defense is, the Colts are a good pass-blocking team. They do, uh, they have improved as a run-blocking team this year. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is, is that the Colts want to run play action. The Chiefs' biggest obstacle for next week is the fact that they can't get happy getting into a shootout. And I know they'll th- want to think that they can now score anyone, but realistically, the Chiefs want to be serious about winning a Super Bowl this year. It's about ball control and managing the clock and not putting your defense in a position to fail. Because if you give Andrew Luck more possessions and more plays to run against the Chiefs' defense, that is the path to victory for the Colts. They have to kind of get more possession of the football. So getting into a shootout plays into the Colts' hands. Uh, There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Chiefs should be able to win next week. But again, I have no confidence in Andy Reid. So I want to see what that line ends up being at for the Colts. Because to me, that's one of the more interesting plays that we could end up seeing the Colts in the AFC title game because of a classic Andy Reid uh, blunder in the postseason. All right, so in the nightcap, we had the Cowboys uh, defeat the Seahawks 24-22. Basically, this was a strange one because uh, the long and short of it was that Seattle lost their uh, kicker, Sebastian Janikowski, at the end of the first half due to a pulled hamstring after trying to attempt the 57-yard field goal. And at that point, the Seahawks basically screwed themselves because this was a game where it was always going to be a defensive struggle. I talked about that before. I expected the under to hit, but because uh, Janikowski was out of the game, uh, so without Seabass there, Seattle was stuck in a position where they had to keep going for it. And I give credit to Russell Wilson for keeping that game as close as it was because the Cowboys defense shut down the Seattle running game completely. Uh, Chris Carson was a non-factor. Seattle couldn't do anything running the football. And realistically, there there wasn't anything that Seattle could have done outside of force some turnovers because, again offensively the Seahawks are pretty limited overall in terms of what they can do because you know outside of uh, getting a couple of a deep pass plays you're not gonna get that many chances uh, uh, to take uh, take care of business and you know yes Dak Prescott uh, threw a pick but realistically Seattle needed to win that turnover battle decisively. They just they just did not get enough uh, in the way of uh, changing field position, just uh, uh, changing the mindset. Because, again, uh, from the long and short of it, like outside of the one sack Frank Clark had, I, there really wasn't that many uh, – there wasn't that much pressure on D- uh, Dak Prescott. There were four QB hits the entire game, you know, that's not a lot. It, it, realistically, Seattle needed a little bit more from their defense. They didn't play bad. They just didn't play great. And, you know, when those sort of things happen, I mean, that's 
just kind of the way it, it, it breaks down. In order to win a road playoff game, you you got to do a, just a little bit more than what we got out of Seattle. And yes, they had a bad break with Seabass uh, going down with the pulled hamstring, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's just it's an unforgiving business at times. And Seattle just didn't do enough. And that was my whole concern about Seattle in the first place was. I didn't see enough in the tank with this Seahawks team to make a difference. And, you know, I would say one of the things that Seattle's going to have to kind of explore in the offseason, this was more of a rebuilding year for Seattle anyway, but I just think that they need to get a little bit more dynamic on offense, Uh, maybe, like, get another uh, pass catcher that's uh, more reliable because, again, you know, Doug Baldwin's getting up there uh, in age and – with his injuries this year, it made it more apparent that uh, Seattle truly needs, like, if, if Baldwin, because, I mean, Baldwin uh, just uh, uh, turned dirty. So it, it's one of those where it's, you have to start thinking who's going to become the number one receiver on that squad going forward. I don't think it's Lockett. I, I think Lockett's still more of a change of pace guy. Uh, would be suitable as a number two, but not a number one guy. Uh, and, you know, if you bring back Baldwin, maybe you got to figure out, you know, do we try to go down the route of getting another dynamic tight end again, even though Jimmy Graham didn't pan out? Uh, you know, something on Seattle's got to change. It's just that offense is just too limited, and they don't have any game changers in the running back position. They're like, the offensive line has to be dominant for that running game to truly take over games uh just because again it Rashad Penny maybe he's the guy down the road but outside of that one run he had he was a non-factor and uh, as I said Chris Carson couldn't get anything going at all last night so we'll see how Dallas looks uh moving forward uh the the fact of the matter is we don't know uh in terms of uh, who Dallas is going to be playing next week. I mean, it could be the Rams. It could end up being uh, that they uh, that they go up against the Saints. Uh, but we'll we'll see. We'll see how the, the Bears game goes. But, uh, you know, Dallas did just enough to win. Uh, I mean, nothing too impressive. I mean, the defense did their thing. And the offense kind of stayed out of the way and uh, didn't... Uh, didn't muck up the process by uh, uh, making critical turnovers in on their own end of the field, uh, really, really. So uh, that's uh, pretty much it for the game itself. But uh, let's get into the Sunday matchups because uh, we're running a little low on time here. But uh, in terms of the matchups today, again, I talked about this. The Chargers traveling for a 1 o'clock game is just criminal. Uh when you really think about it, like the NFL really screwed the Chargers here. I think the Chargers are the better team. And the fact that they've played actually helps the Chargers, in my opinion, just be prepared for Baltimore's offense. So I think this is going to be low scoring. Realistically, this game comes down to can Phillip Rivers not force the ball into bad situations, trying to make something happen. Can Phillip Rivers just be patient and let the game develop? That's the biggest thing because uh, the last time I faced uh, three weeks ago, uh, you had Melvin Gordon held to uh, less than four yards to carry, 
and just could not get the ball moving at all and couldn't break one. The Baltimore was very disciplined. Uh, to be honest, uh, Los Angeles has to be more uh, careful to, uh, in terms of how they manage the offense. So the Chargers have to stay patient, and they can't force the issue. Forcing the issue, that's going to be an automatic L. I, I, I will say that outright. Even though the Ravens don't force that many turnovers, uh, when they do get opportunities, they will make you pay, and the Chargers cannot fall into that trap. So Philip Rivers got to behave himself. And they, they're going to need uh, a big-time performance out of Melvin Gordon. But uh, we'll see how the game goes. In terms of uh, fantasy impact for players, I really think about uh, what you would get out of uh, uh, Melvin Gordon here. To me, this is not any, as I said before, it's not a cash game play. Uh, Today, I just don't like cash uh, cash tournaments uh, at all. I think there's a GPP, uh, and you lead the cash games at, at, well, basically, you junk the cash games for the rest of the postseason, to be honest, because, again, with limited slates, it's harder to get advantage on teams, so you're better off just playing uh, your tournaments uh, than anything else. But uh, going, uh, going through this, again, I just... I just have to say that, uh, you know, if you're doing anything out of uh, cash, then you can go with Lamar Jackson, uh, but, uh, for the Ravens, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not big on cash games this week. So, uh, or the rest of the uh, rest of the postseason, as I said, uh, it's just one of those where, you know, we're, we're going to have to take a pass. Um, in terms of the wide receivers, again, I'm not big on wide receivers this week. I just think that this is going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, Keenan Allen will look to bounce back because he got hurt last time out against the. Char- I mean, last time out against the Ravens. But I don't see a whole lot coming out of the passing game. That's why I say Philip Rivers is just going to have to learn to be patient here and not force the issue. If he forces the issue. Then he's going to put his teammates in a bad spot because I can easily see it going sideways uh, for uh, for them if uh, they don't uh, manage it correctly. But um, yeah, outside of that, I, I really don't like a whole lot of the wide receivers. You know, maybe take a punt on uh, Travis Benjamin uh, just uh, because the Chargers might try to do some trick plays, and uh, he seems to be more of the gadget type play receiver that they use for those sets so um that's really it uh outside of that the defenses uh you know either defense i'm comfortable with uh, between the ravens and chargers uh if you're not paying up uh top salary for the bears defense so moving on to the afternoon matchup we got the bears hosting the eagles and i talked about this before the biggest thing i have an issue with with the bears is their play calling. Everyone keeps praising Matt Nagy, and I keep kind of scratching my head because I'm looking at him saying that in tight games, Nagy has shown the tendency to self-destruct, similar to what you see out of Andy Reid. So I'm not going to say that I'm sold on the Bears yet because I've seen them uh, just blow opportunities uh, in the past this year. So the one thing I'll say about this is it sets up nicely for the Eagles to play their underdog narrative. 
But, and this is the big but, due to the injuries that the Bears have with their wide receiver core, and now the story is out that Trey Burton, the former Eagles tight end, who's now playing for the Bears, uh, you know, now the story is that, you know, Trey Burton is uh, is questionable uh, now with a groin injury. And, you know, if Burton is not, like, getting at it this late in the week is never a good sign for a guy's viability. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to have time to do a later swap today uh, for the 4 o'clock games, but I, I have to look at this as a case where, you know, realistically there's a good chance Burton doesn't play. And so that makes, like, paying up for Zach Ertz even more imperative. You know, downgrade the receivers where you have to. But paying up for Burton, to me, is just fool's gold at this point. Like, you, you can't you can't do it at this uh, stage. It's not, it's just not a good play, in my opinion, at, at this stage of the game. Uh, with him being added to the injury report this late, it's almost never a good sign for a guy to be added on that late and for him to actually suit up and play. Because even if he's active, usually it means that they're limited in a capacity. That's why they had to list him on the injury report in the first place. So, um, not... Not too keen on that. Uh, the Bears are favored by five and a half points. You know, again, I, I don't trust the Bears' offense enough to actually cover that line because uh, when the Bears hold their opponents under twenty-four points, they are twelve and zero. When they score over twenty-four points, they're zero and four. Now, I say this because Philly is going to keep trying to stretch the ball down the field and keep throwing on the Bears. So this is either going to go one or two ways. Either Nick Foles is going to throw the Eagles out of the game completely, as I expect, or it's going to go where this ends up being a back-and-forth contest that the Bears end up dropping uh, because they're they're just not suited to play uh, these types of games, and Nagy ends up out overthinking it and screwing, uh, screwing this up. Now, again, I don't say that, that this is... Uh, a referendum on Nick Foles being good. No, Nick Foles is not a good quarterback. But in the system that they're playing, this is the only system he can play in to stretch the ball down the field and just keep taking shots. So, you know, you can have any number of things with referee flags getting involved for illegal contact or pass interference. The Eagles are going to keep taking their shots down the field because, to me, that's the only way they can win this game. They're not going to be able to get it done running the football against the Bears' defense. The only way to kind of get it done is just keep uh, throwing the football uh, at the Bears. The Bears are going to just try to get the pressure with the front four, let Khalil Mack do his thing. But uh, the Eagles just have to trust uh, that uh, Nick Foles can at least put the ball in spots where his guys can get to it and make plays. So uh, that's really what this game comes down to. So this could turn into a complete route. Or it's going to be back and forth in a, in a tight one because the Bears are not able to outpace a team that's clicking on offense. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, definitely some interesting uh, scenarios that can play out uh, today because I, I do see this as a case where uh, the matchups dictate that it's going to be t- uh, tight throughout the game. So. Um, I'm very much interested in seeing how uh, the playoffs shape up, but uh, there's a very real chance that all the teams that are playing today will be 
uh, out of the playoffs by the end of next week. Uh, I'm just not sold on uh, outside outside of uh, the Chargers Ravens game. I'm not because the one thing that I had a fear about was if uh, the winner of this game going into New England playing uh, because even though I felt that these were the two Super Bowl contenders, there usually is uh, some difference about playing a grueling game today. So, again, I'm very curious to see how this game goes because if the Chargers or Ravens like just go engage in a slugfest, I'm wondering about what they'll have left in the tank just because Melvin Gordon's uh, banged up and Baltimore's style of play is not sustainable long-term uh, for Lamar Jackson. So, uh, very much curious to see how uh, it all shakes out. But uh, I'm going to leave it there uh, for the show. Uh, I mean, it's only two games late, so you're, you're pretty much left with a couple of dart throws. But uh, as I said, I'm leaning more towards playing Trubisky in DFS just from the standpoint of the matchups uh, uh, against the Eagles secondary. Uh, he should have opportunities to get the ball down the field. Whereas I do see a blowout potential uh, for the Eagles. And yes, Nick Foles could make some plays down the field. But I also see turnovers uh, from forcing the ball down the field if it, if it comes to that. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, I'm I'm curious to see how uh, the matchups end up panning out. I'm, I mean, as I said, I'll take the Chargers and the Eagles today on the spread. But uh, uh, in terms of outright game winners... I still think that uh, you could have scenarios where both the Ravens and uh, Ra- uh, the Ravens and the Bears win. It's just one of those ga- uh, cases where uh, both home teams uh, have a good chance of holding on. I mean, you already had a home favorite go down in the Texans, but uh, we'll see how it, it pans out for uh, these two squads. But uh, uh, at least. Uh, we got a little bit off the snide with uh, the second game last night. Even though it wasn't a great game, it was still better than the direct that we got out of the Texans. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I said, that's uh, that's a separate story with Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans being uh, pretenders. But uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, best of luck to everyone, and uh, uh, have a good one.